I called out to warn you. Before you ran away. And then I, I, of course I ran away. Yes. Because there was a tractor coming through the tent. Hello and welcome to the Waterstones podcast. I'm Will Rycroft and after everything 2020 has thrown at us, we thought you deserved a little treat to round the year off. So here's a bonus episode of the podcast in which we get to speak to two stars of the hugely popular TV series Outlander, actors Sam Hewan and Graham McTavish. If you're not already one of the fan army, then Outlander is the adaptation of Diana Gabaldon's historical novel set in 18th century Scotland, in which Sam plays hero Jamie Fraser and Graham his uncle, Dougal Mackenzie. After working together in seasons one and two, the two men set out on a road trip around Scotland to investigate its history and culture, whilst also imbibing a good sample of its famous whisky. So we sat down with a wee dram of our own to talk about the book that came out of this trip, Clanlands. Whisky, warfare and a Scottish adventure like no other. Sam, Graham, welcome to the Waterstones podcast. I should probably say, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Slanger, we say, I say cheers to you. Thank you for joining us uh, on this podcast. It's great to speak to you both. Pleasure. Um, I have to say, every time we have mentioned yourselves, Clanlands, the book, Outlander, anything like that on our social media, it goes absolutely insane. <laughs> there is huge love for you both out there. Um, I've heard the fandom referred to many as many things. Um, hooligans, I believe, is one phrase that's used for you in particular, I think, uh, Sam. Is that right? Um, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Started by my mother. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. But yes, they, 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 they are extremely, uh, extremely... Um, enthusiastic fans and, and have been from pretty much day one of Outlander's sort of launching and and to be honest yeah they've the, the book as well you know the book has been something that they've really looked forward to and I think um have 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 wholeheartedly jumped in and got on board with us which has been fantastic you in the book you describe a few encounters actually with the fans because they do sort of almost follow you around on your tour around Scotland but Uh, I I want to sort of start off really talking about your friendship because there is something very very unique about it Uh, (laughs) did you become firm friends quite early on in the filming of Outlander was that always the case or was there a particular event that sort of brought you together no we I I would say we always got on really well I I got we got on really well right from the moment we did um you know, we I met for the role um, when I walked into the office. Uh, mm. I took to Sam straight away. He's um, he was he's a, he's a very sort of engaging, sort of open person, and puts you at your ease and all the rest of it. And you know, you just felt like this is a guy that would be on your side, and uh, and that has proven to be the case. And then you found out the opposite. Yeah. The horrible <laughs> but, but it was uh, all just a ruse. All a ruse to lull you into false sense of security. But, yes. I mean, Graham, Graham, honestly, you know, everyone, you know, we had such a great, great cast on Outlander, and we still do, but I think that first season, we were all very much bonded together. There was a real core group of these Highlanders, and, and Graham was, you know, kind of the ringleader, um, and he, that's where he got this, this, this nickname of Lady McTavish, but you know, it was, it's all in jest and it's certainly a term of endearment. Um, but it was great fun to see him on set. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we stayed in contact even when Graham left Outlander and, you know, I know that we regularly, we would meet up in Los Angeles or wherever and we'd have a beer and a, a good catch up and a good laugh. Well, you, you, yeah. you know yourself, Will, um, having, having trod the boards, um, yourself many times that, um, 
you know, when you have a good group of people and especially a good group who make you laugh, mm. uh, it makes such a massive difference, not just to your experience of the job, but I really believe it makes a difference to how that job is is seen by others, you know, in terms of the audience. It, you, you can tell. You can yeah. tell even if, even if, you know, you're playing a villain um, and somebody else is playing a good guy or whatever, you kind of just know that they get on. Mm. And I think the, the opposite is true as well. You can actually watch something and say, say to yourself, these people didn't like each other much. <laughs> and, and, and I really believe that. You can feel yeah. it. You can definitely feel it on stage, and I think you can definitely. feel it on TV as well. So. Don't you think it's something to do about, you know, that the audience kind of want to be part of it? They want to yeah. be having fun with you, and yeah. um, and I think that's definitely the book, you know. And I think even if you read the book, you'll see it. It is obviously our friendship, but there's there are other characters in there that kind of make up this ensemble. And um, I think, again, you know, down to our crew and everyone, you know, just really had a good time. And I think that that's, that should hopefully come across in the book and the TV show as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean, you'll both know that as an actor, when you come together with a, a company for whatever job, you you have to form very close relationships with people very, very quickly because mm-hmm. it, it might be that on day one, you're filming a love scene with somebody and you have to yeah. be able to commit to that 100%. Um, mm-hmm. But then, of course, if you're doing a program for a long time, like Outlander, you know, those relationships can become incredibly close, very enmeshed, you know, and you're spending a lot of time with these people. So you have to kind of get on, don't you? And if you don't, it, it could cause real problems. I was just about to say, it's it's also about, I think, you know, with, without sort of getting too sort of weird about the whole process of acting, but it, it's about being vulnerable as an actor. You know, mm. you, you have to expose yourself um, in some cases, like Sam's case, quite literally. <laughs> um, but you do have to expose yourself very emotionally and, and, and you and you and you're opening yourself up to um, criticism, basically, you know, basically people turning around saying, oh, that wasn't very good, was it? Mm. And you you protect each other, I think, in that mm. group. You look after each other and and um, you want everybody to do well and you want everybody to work well together. Um, and and that's what makes a good a good TV show and a good book and a, and a good play. And then someone takes advantage and you find yourself on a tandem bicycle. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, being, exactly. Being led astray, yeah. Yeah. I think, well, as, as through reading the book, I, I do get the sense, Sam, that obviously you this this was kind of your idea, your baby, and you were sort of producing this this uh, TV series that has become this book. And uh, you do make Graham do all sorts of things. Um, and I can see almost a little glint in your eye each time you try and put him in a different vehicle or sort of get him to do something else. But obviously all done with a lot of fun. But you're sort of, you're traveling around Scotland and it is about this sort of engaging with history. Of course, Outlander, is very much about engaging with history. But I think there's a real difference between acting in a show which happens to be set in a particular period of history, mm. but then the, what you actually do in this book, which is to look at what really happened, to yeah. travel to the sites. Did you find that it gave you a sort of an even better appreciation of the real history of that programme in the book? Very much so. Very, very yeah. much so. I, I thought it was, I felt it was tremendously important. And it's the thing that's always interested me about any history, not just Scottish history, is actually going behind the the sort of perceived uh, view of of something that happened in the past, mm. and and finding the multifaceted nature of, of history and, and and the way that clans, for instance, were, were completely enmeshed um, together. They they were they were they were not um, 
they were not these separate groups that uh, only fought each other. Sometimes they demarried, sometimes they fell out, sometimes they would form alliances, etc., and, and betray each other. It was it was really fascinating to meet some of the people as well, the clan chiefs yeah. that we encountered, um, who you couldn't make up. No, uh, <laughs> they were strangers in any fiction. And I think I think Outlander, you know, gave us. I mean, you know. Graham obviously is a, has a great interest in Scottish history, and he had an idea for a, a TV show, you know, many years ago. And I think it just sort of seemed fortuitous that we both had an idea, and it sort of came together. But I think Outlander, for me, you know, I think, and for a great many viewers, the interest is in Scotland and in its history, and um, people wanted to know more about the Highlanders and the Highland way of life, and that's why um, I wanted to do something based on that. And I think. You know, having access to all these these sites and, and contacts, um, it, it was amazing. You know, people were very open, weren't they, Graham? They, 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 they were. You know, we, we literally were welcomed in and shown, you know, some priceless artifacts and um, just had great access to a large number of, like, historic, historic sites or, um, or, you know, various clan, you know, seats of clans or, or whatever. And it was uh, it was amazing how people just opened up and really let us in and... Uh, yeah, as, as we said, some of the characters we met were really larger than life. And because we weren't, we weren't prepared at all, we, we had no preparation other than a basic uh, schedule. And, you know, our line producer had spoken to people in advance, but we'd never met them. So mm. all of what's described in the book um, happens, you know, as it happened. We, we would just turn up and suddenly we'd be confronted by, you know, Mons Bolin and his armored personnel carrier and <laughs> his 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 terrifying friends um, and you know beheading pits um, Lady Cordor um, you know the you and Cameron I mean these were great 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 characters and they really did so much of the work for us we just had yeah. to sit there and really listen listen to them yeah. I'm yeah. glad that you've mentioned Lady Cordor because I think, you know, especially for me, for me as a former actor, that the idea of yeah. going to Cordor Castle oh, is yeah, extraordinary yeah. to me. Oh, yeah, great. Meeting her, but also you mentioned there about historical artifacts. Could you just tell us, uh, tell the listeners that you got to sort of to touch and handle something that most actors would sort of give their oh. eye teeth to be able to oh, do? Oh, tell, oh, Sam, oh. yeah, tell us a bit about that. Yes, yeah, which well, I mean, Lady Cordor. I mean, obviously, you know, the the relationship there to Macbeth and to to I mean she she's got a pretty I guess bad reputation from Macbeth uh, from Shakespeare you know I think Macbeth actually it was it was a uh, a lot of fiction involved there but you know we were so excited and of course we were were you know re recounting my limited um, knowledge of of Shakespeare on the way to uh, Cordo Castle but it was just this magnificent place and she was such a character she was so charismatic so charming um, I mean. She's a she's a Campbell. Um, she married into the Campbells, but they, she just had every sort of attribute that you kind of would imagine that they would have had. You know, very intelligent. Um, um, she she welcomed us in and she showed us this uh, the castle, which was built on almost like a, something out of Game of Thrones. It was built on uh, this legendary tree that was um, planted there, and um, she had all these sort of different ideas about. Uh, the castle grounds. She has this great uh, maze that's uh, um, a recreation of uh, the famous Greek maze um, with the Minotaur, and uh, mm. 
And then obviously we went to this room and there was this, was it the second folio or first folio of Shakespeare's yeah, she, work? She was, we, because we were, we were waiting, uh, we arrived and there was this enormous circular table mm-hmm. and it was really, it was the, the, the cameraman, John, uh, said, um, is there anything that we could just put in oh, the yes. table yeah. just to sort of, you know, break it up a little bit? And she went, oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, well, just that book over there, the, the, the leather bound one. And um, we went over in this gigantic book and, and I brought it, placed it there and it looked wonderful. And I said to her very casually, um, what, uh, what, what is that book, Lady Corbin? And she said, oh, it's the, um, the second edition of Shakespeare's Folio. And <laughs> I, I literally just gasped. I, I yeah. And I just remember saying to her, can I touch it? <laughs> she said, oh, yes, 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 help yourself. And I opening this book, I was just, it was extraordinary. Oh, no, I think she, she just also, like, she, I remember she had this tea. It was like homemade ginger tea. Yes. I, I kind of slightly strange, you know, and she was very, dare I say, um, manipulative in that she got what she wanted. She was very charming about it. And she was, you know, just wonderful, just a really, really open character. But... But there's just something about her. It just was like this. She is kind of, in a way, she is, you know, the character from. Well, she was. From very, and she was very, very um, elegantly and quietly in control of the entire yeah. thing. And, yeah. and, and we both fell. Way. We both fell in her under her spell, definitely. Oh, every single member of the crew, male or female, fell in love with her. I mean, we all had these <laughs> sort of pathetic crushes on her by the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're ridiculously beautiful, so mm. poised, elegant, intelligent, erudite. Yeah, just, yeah, it was... Um, yeah. It was it was a pretty good day at the office, wasn't it? It was. Day, let's be honest. It yeah. was. Yes. Well, the, maybe the start wasn't so good. <laughs> we uh, we were we were driving in. I I was driving the camper van, and um, somehow for some reason we found ourselves on the on the actual race course for uh, the local marathon, and so we were driving along on the actual course with runners either side of us uh, up to Cordo Castle. At which point um, we tried to get to the main gate there. It wasn't built. Yes, it wasn't built for you know a camper van. No, uh, so we got stuck. No. We got stuck in this um, gate and uh, couldn't couldn't back out because the runners were coming up to us and then they were trying to get past and of course we ruined their their mm. times. We ruined their personal bests and yeah. They, they <laughs> I didn't realize that marathon runners could be so abusive. Actually, oh, yeah. yeah, they yeah. may be very slight and slim, but um, they're, yeah, they're, they're very just, creative. Mm. They run on on. Uh, on, I don't know, insults. Yeah, fury, just pure fury. fury. Just, just rage, rage yeah. at camper vans, yeah. They're, they're just hungry. I think that's what it is, that's really. Um, it is. I mean, for you, Graham, obviously you've you've been in many productions of, of Macbeth and then I yeah, suppose yeah. To, to be able to hold in your hand that second folio, there oh. is something about connecting with history that in fact runs throughout this book. Yeah. You often find yourselves in places yeah. where you're able to touch and hold these things. Absolutely. And I wondered, does it? did, did you feel that those things... I mean, they are all, again, using another Shakespearean reference, touchstones to mm. history. Do, do they help to connect better with that idea of what happened in the past? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, right from the stones of a ruined castle to, you know, um, Bonnie Prince Charlie's dueling pistols or a yeah. sword found on the battlefield of Culloden, uh, the, the folio that you, you mentioned, all of these things, looking, looking at the, um, the sword, the broadsword, the, the gentle Lochiel, uh, used at Culloden and the flag, the flag, the the flag mm. of the Camerons that was wrapped around uh, a man who fled the battlefield, and there it was, and and it, re- it really does bring all these things to life. 
um, very, very vividly. And I think that's true of just the landscape of Scotland. You know, that's mm. one of the, it, you know, I say in the, in the book, I think that it tells a story and it really does. It's woven completely into the landscape and mm. everywhere you turn, there's something to remind you of, of often a very tragic history in Scotland. Mm. Um, which which only serves to fuel the wonderful romance attached to the country. But it's interesting that Scots, we you know we we are very still attached to our past, and and it, it you know it isn't actually that long ago. But it's interesting that we have this identity and this real um, attachment to to what's gone before, and whether or not you know it's been romanticized or not. But it is interesting, you know, that, that as Graham said, wherever you go. It's tangible. You can actually see. You can see the history that's gone before, and um, yeah, like I guess thought that's what made our road trip so special. And and what we would encourage people to do: go on their own one because it's so easy in Scotland. You can literally yeah. drive around the corner, and there's you know another yet another castle. Oh my god, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's really interesting what you're saying there, Graham, about about the fact that the landscape does this thing to you. Which is, I remember this when I was driving through Scotland as a drama student and going up sort of into Scotland past Fort William. And there is something you hear the word like the Highlands, and it's not until I remember literally coming around a corner mm. and going, "Oh, like the Highlands!" Like I understand where I am. Now. It was this incredibly dramatic yeah. landscape, and immediately yeah. you feel yourself going, yeah. "I get it now. I understand what it must have been like 300, 400 years ago, fighting mm. on a battlefield here." Mm. But mm. you can still have that distance, can't you, between yourself and history? But you both of you in the book, you start to think and even to sort of find out about your own families and where they might have been yeah. as part of these battles. Mm-hmm. Did that help you to make an even closer connection? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I loved all that. I loved finding out more and more about my family and really their journey, uh, certainly on my father's side, from, from the Highlands um, to Edinburgh in the early, early, twen- uh, early 19th century they came and, and what that must have been like um, arriving in a, in a city like Edinburgh when you grew up in a Gaelic-speaking culture in the Highlands and um, how... how how sort of much of an outsider these people must, they must have felt when they arrived. Mm. I found that really interesting, and mm. and it was um you know just to just to tie in slightly with what you were saying earlier. It's of course a very strong oral tradition, uh, the Highland culture, because they were not literate um, in the well certainly the ordinary man or woman wasn't literate uh, in that sense. So stories were passed down simply by telling them to each other. And I think that provides a real immediacy to something that essentially that a story that your father heard from his grandfather who heard it from his grandfather, his great grandfather's lips is something that could feel like it was just yesterday that it, mm-hmm. even if it might have been 100, 200 years ago. Um, and, also, and I love that. Also, I guess it, it is interesting to talk about the Highlanders and, and the Highlands. And, you know, look, back then, you know, they were, as you said, they, they were they were a different culture. You know, they, they, there wasn't much access to the Highlands. Um, and yeah, they spoke this different language. They had different, different customs. And, and I think, you know, the lowland Scots and, and, and the English, you know, they, they were, they were probably very, they were very wary of these Highlanders. And, and of course they were very powerful too. Um, and that's when, you know, obviously things change when they started building all these roads and these forts to, to, to sort of dominate and to also have a gateway into, to the Highlands of Scotland. But it was pretty impenetrable because, because of the landscape as well. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, for you, Sam, obviously, I, I just thinking that portraying a character like Jamie Fraser, you know, obviously there's a lot of history that feeds into that, which you're, mm. and then the, the scripts and the, the books that it draws from. But sometimes it, as an actor, it can be quite hard to feel that you're really connecting with things. But with, with this trip into the landscape, I wondered whether there were times when you realised that despite the years that separate you from your character, that actually when you stand there, when you're confronted by the weight of a broadsword or when you're, you know, the idea mm. of people charging towards you, yeah. do you get this sense where you kind of go, actually, we're not that different? That if oh, you put me in that situation, I would probably react in exactly the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I think we we both had a moment there we would go to the highland folk museum and uh, meet a great character jimmy jimmy the bush and jimmy um bush. we talk about jimmy the bush and right. uh he presented us with a, a pistol and a sword that were and i think the pistol was found at culloden and just just as soon as we both held that pistol mm. you just realize you know the last time that this was used was by possibly a man you know made same age as me who fired it, threw it away, and then ran to, to his death or his demise. And it's, it is it is just, it really brings it to life. And I think I think there's just something about Culloden, and I think that we were both excited about it. And there's almost this ingrained um, sort of national, um, I don't know, remembrance about, about Culloden. It's like all Scots kind of know about it. Mm. And I remember when we even shot that sequence, you know, mm. uh, like last year, two years ago for Outlander, you know, all the extras, all the crew, everyone was just kind of, we wanted to, to do service to that moment. It was such a sort of pivotal moment in, in British and Scottish history. And, um, and it just, I don't know, there's something about it very evocative and you just, you just realize, you know, what a great number of lives were lost here. Great, um, great turning point in, in Scottish history. And yeah, I think we just a very, uh, it's a very haunted play, yeah. you know, you yeah. feel it, you feel the weight of what went on there because it's such mm. a wonderfully preserved battlefield. Mm. Um, you, you, you really don't have to work very hard to completely imagine what it was like to be there on this bleak windswept moor. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, re- we, we were there, it was raining there was wind. Uh, the only thing that was missing was the fog that they had on the day. And just, I mean, how horrific it would have been. Starving, cold, wet. And then being asked to simply race into the the, the jaws of um, the British army who were waiting with, I think, 8,000 muskets and however many cannons. Yeah. Incredible. It really was a sort of the end of, of that ancient also the highland charge you know this ancient Mm. um tactic and warfare that had been so successful and and really it was about this sort of old old way of life now coming up against like the new modern army you know like the new modern way of doing things and um it just it really is a turning point and yeah it was very evocative there wasn't it and they actually at at Clodden at the moment they obviously have this great visitor center but um to be honest on the battlefield all there is is sort of the two lines are, are marked out by flags um, and it, it just does it for you. You can sort of see the British line, you can see the Scottish line, the Jacobites. Mm. Um, it just it really conjures up that that sort of moment in time. Mm. There is another phrase in the book, and after my terrible pronunciation earlier, I'm scared to give this one a go. But the, the phrase translates as "belonging to Scotland," 
It's Alba mm. and Dualcas, yeah. So I just wonder, because we've been talking there about sort of the connection to history, but obviously, you know, Graham, you now live in New Zealand. Sam, you're a modern guy. You've been filming in the States and, you know, lived in London. But this idea of belonging to Scotland seems to me to be really particular. And I wondered whether you could both tell us a little bit about what that really means to you. Um, Graham, I'll ask you first, you know, in what ways you feel that connection to Scottish culture and history? Yeah, I, I feel I've I've felt it whenever I've been in Scotland. You know, uh, it, it's 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 somewhat difficult to actually put into words because it's it's very much a feeling that even when I used to get off the train at you know Queen Street Station or at Central Station in Glasgow, um, you could feel this sort of hum coming from the ground around you of of just the the people that you feel connected to and. Um, one of one of the things that I always found whenever I, I was I was in Scotland, I never laughed as much as when I was in Scotland. Um, hmm. You know, laughter. Um, I think it's partly just the dreek weather, the the sort of the, the the endless nights of the winter and all the rest of it that just engenders a really great sense of humour. And so, laughter is such a huge part of the Scottish experience. And I'm sure, you know, I I, I suspect that even on the battlefield at Culloden in 1746, people were exchanging jokes, just <laughs> a laugh, just having having a go at each other, taking the piss, whatever you want to call it. That that would have been part of the whole thing, and I I've just always loved that about Scotland. It's um it's got a great humour about itself and about other people, and a great mm. curiosity about others. You know, when I when I again whenever I've been in a taxi cab in Scotland. Taxi drivers in Scotland ask you about you. Notorious, yeah. yeah. Who you are? What's your story? Where are you from? Uh, they don't want to talk about themselves so much, and I think that's um, that's a that's the sign of a very strong, um, outward-looking and uh, secure culture. You know. Mm. And Sam, how 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 would you just sort of because that that phrase I believe is engraved on your sword is that right in, in the That's show right. yeah yeah which you carry yeah. everywhere don't you well obviously which yeah I do. I'm holding right now yes um, <laughs> yeah Dulcas yeah um, it, yeah and it means a sense of belonging or a sense of home and uh, it was something that I was taught by a Gallic friend of mine back in season one but and it's interesting that it came up in 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 writing the book and in shooting the TV show and we talk about it but it's it's something you know for instance I was always skeptical when we have um, uh, tourists come to the, U the UK or to Scotland, uh, especially American tourists or Canadian. They, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm, you know, I'm Scotch or I'm part Scotch. And for a long time, I was like, you know, no, you're not. Or like, whatever, <laughs> like, whatever. And then and I just suddenly, it's, it's it, it, I realized, you know, foolishly that, of course, these people, they left and they migrated to Canada and America and to wherever, to Australia and New Zealand. And um, only a couple of generations ago, three or four generations ago, but there must be something in you genetically that has yeah. this longing for home. And actually, I think it's extremely, extremely strong with Scotland. I don't know why, but but I but I now fully understand what that's about. It's like they, they, they can't describe what it is and they don't know what it is, but they... When they come to Scotland, they feel at home. They feel that there's something there that, that grounds them. And I think I think it's a genetic thing. I really do. We've spoken a little bit about some of the sort of ways in which you've been placed in peril, shall we say, Graham, uh, whether it's a tandem bicycle or just simply uh, being driven by Sam uh, yeah. along the uh, highways. Driven, um, driven mad, yeah. 
men driven mm. yes but there is a part in the book where you actually there is a moment where you talk about graham you quite literally saved sam's life uh during well, the course of well, I out like that. um no i mean <laughs> you're so ungrateful it's so extraordinary i called saved out saved his own life i called, <laughs> i called out to warn you and before you, you ran away and then i i of course i ran away yes <laughs> because there was a tractor coming through the tent mm-hmm. yeah no but mm-hmm. sam has always denied that i really saved his life but that's okay that's mm-hmm. okay i'll um i'll just carry on just being his guardian angel with no thought. graham has this great um and probably why he does so well is that he he's very good at preserving his own skin and i think um <laughs> it became a it became quite quite a source of amusement or not only on our show and on, on the book during you know shooting this and writing this but also even on outlander there was a time when i remember we were shooting with a a big whole sort of village scene and at one point there was a highland cow or highland coo and it it started to buck and wasn't very happy about shooting such long hours um and uh he, he's graham sidled up to me and was like i i know i have an escape plan i know where i'm going i'm going over that wall and you could see him watching i watch him during the takes he was sort of edging closer and closer to the wall so oh, yeah. just in case he, he would just Absolutely. be over that wall <laughs> so i would say stick with mctavish if you want to survive yeah, it's very true. Very true. Yes, I, I um, when we were doing Outlander, I do remember uh, with the horses, you know, people had varying degrees of uh, good fortune with horses. I was very fortunate with mine. Mine was um, just so patient uh, with me. But a couple of the other cast members weren't so lucky. And uh, I do remember in an episode of, you know, we were going away from, from the castle going on to rent. It was the end of the episode. The yeah. light was fading. I was at the front. Everyone else was at the back. And I remember all I could hear was, I think it was Stephen Walters yeah. and Bunker Roar screaming yeah. in the background as their horses were trying to yeah. throw them to the ground. And yeah. I didn't even look round. No, <laughs> um, carried on. Yeah, I, just, I just made sure that I was in focus and yeah. the camera was on me and that's Safe. fine. Yeah. Even within the course of this conversation, people will hear the sort of, you know, the, the way the two of you kind of, the repartee, the sort of the conversation that was with the two of you. And reading this book is very much like that. It is a conversation between yeah. the two of you in telling that story. But how did you how did you write it? Because, of course, it involves both of you. Were you literally sort of sending chunks to each other or did you both sort of set down your version of events? It's quite an undertaking, obviously, to write we, something together. We were actually, we started writing basically when locked that sort of national... In, international lockdown happened and we were mm. you know, different parts of the world you know graham was in new zealand i was in scotland and we started writing well talking about um uh technology and graham's sometimes uh, yes. dubious uh, grasp on how to use technology <laughs> it started off by emailing each other documents and then it turned into i think a, a word document but then after a while graham accuses me of locking him out of the word document um which i didn't do so then we had to change to a Google document, which he then was able, he was able to access and that was fine. But we were writing at the same time and we would sort of have, um, you know, bi-weekly Zoom calls and have a chat about what we had to do next and then go away and do our homework. And it would be fun because you'd be sit writing about the same thing at the same time on this shared document and you could actually mm-hmm. see the other person writing, which I think is where this sort of back and forth started, where we started to... I would dare I say correct each other in yes. <laughs> we're correcting each other. 
You know, you would read something and you would go, well, I'm not sure that's exactly how that happened. And so you would you would write something and you'd suddenly see, you know, maybe Sam's cursor would start and you'd see him writing. It was quite fascinating, actually. Uh, I've never done anything like that before, yeah. um, where you're actually having that real-time conversation via a shared document. It was, mm. uh, yeah, but that was the basis of the book. Absolutely. We've spoken a little bit about the two of you driving each other uh, around Scotland and probably around the bend a little bit too. But mm. I want to ask a little bit about what drives you personally as people, because Sam, I noticed at the end of the book, you're, you're described in your bio as a philanthropist. And I was like, blimey, that's quite a that's quite a strong word for such a young man. And then I read what you had actually done and I felt suitably chastened because the word philanthropist obviously coming from the incredible fundraising that you've done for various charities, but also the fact that you are producer for these uh, TV programs we've been talking about, a, dri- a huge driving force. And in fact, Graham is very generous uh, towards the end of the book in talking about his admiration for the way that you take life by the scruff of the neck. And you seem to be incredibly driven in creating all of these things, where does that come from? Um, that's a that is a good question, and uh, yeah, philanthropist does sound rather, um, rather uh, I don't know, rather generous. But but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair enough. You know, I, I think I have, I don't know, a drive that's come from um, the fact that um, I never had the opportunity before. Maybe I think Outlander has given me a lot of opportunity, and I've realised, you know, that that now is the time that I, I can do these things. And I think before, you know, being a jobbing actor, you, you're always held back by just your circumstances or um, trying, to, trying to make ends meet or not having time or not having the right contacts. And suddenly I realized that I have all these great contacts um, and, and I love doing business and I love seeing, you know, what, what the next challenge is. And I think, yes, I think um, Graham's described me as not having uh, really thought about the consequences of things. And I think if I actually think about the consequences, uh, it would freak me out. So I just, I guess, jump jump in feet first and see what will happen and hopefully come up, you know, breathing. Um, but uh, mm. yeah, I, I think uh, that's what probably works with our relationship as well. You know, we're, kind yeah. of, dare I say, yin and yang, you know, in a, in a way. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, you're definitely, um, uh, you know, the risks, the physical risks that you're willing to take are certainly much greater than mine. I, and it's, which is admirable. I mean, it's great. And it was, it was a wonderful thing that you took me out of my comfort zone on many, many occasions. And I really, <laughs> but, but actually in a strangely enjoyable way. I mean, not, my, not having my backside destroyed on a tandem bike necessarily, but, mm. but other things. And, but I also think that um, actors by, by sort of nature are, are all a bit like that. It, it, you, you benefit a great deal as, as actors by, by not really knowing um what's coming and so you just throw yourself into things and uh and i've i've certainly found that in my life that you um an actual lack of uh preparation sometimes is a real advantage that you (laughs) but i think i think also we're we're always you're always waiting for someone else to make a decision for you to tell you what you can and can't do as an actor, you know, you know, you've got this job or you haven't, or, you know, you're auditioning for something and it, it just feels like actually taking control of your career yeah. and your destiny and all that sort of thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's so rewarding. And I think uh, I, I enjoy all these sort of other endeavors and I think they all feed back into each other. You know, I think when I'm, I remember going, you know, I was working on Outlander whilst shooting, uh, this clanlands first part of Men and Kills, and um, 
you know, I, I remember it would give me energy going to do Clownlands because it was something different and something to sort of throw myself into. And yeah, I think it all feeds back. You know, it's sort of creativity is, is also energy and um, keeps you going. It is great to feel have those that feeling of being in charge of your own destiny as well. Um, yeah. Because yeah. as you rightly say, so much of an actor's life is is spent waiting on other people to give you permission to mm. to do what you enjoy. And with this, I mean, I remember very early on, I think Sam and I standing together um, with a guest before we did something and just both realizing what, what enormous fun this was that we were in charge. It was like, hey, we didn't need to ask anybody. We're just going to do this and we're going to ask this and, and then we're going to go here. And that was rather wonderful, actually. And it's the same with the book, I think. You know, it, it really is. Uh, yeah, I guess it's very personal, right? I mean, as it can be, you know, and we, you know, from from the illustrations to the to the quotes to the you know, bits of poetry or, or whatever, it's it, it's lovely to be able to craft something and create something. And um, it was really it was a really fun process. Hmm. Now, I have reached the stage where I've realized that the, the glass with which I said cheers at the beginning of this uh, conversation needs a refill, which means I've mm. probably taken up far too much of your time already, oh. gentlemen. Um, I mean, it, it's been a brilliant conversation and it's oh. fascinating to hear more about your relationship uh, on the show and also obviously in making this book. Um, but it's just great to have a bit of time to talk to you about it today. So thank you oh. so much. Oh, it's oh. been absolute Thanks, pleasure. Yeah, yeah, really fun. Really good to chat. So that really is it now for the podcast in 2020. I hope that you've enjoyed the episodes this year as we've tried to provide not just entertainment during lockdown, but also books that have helped us to deal with the difficulties that this year has placed in our paths. We hibernate for the winter now, but work has already begun on a new series for next year, which I'm really excited about. It's a new direction for the podcast and I can't say too much about it now, but if you love books, and I think after all this time we know that you do, then I know you're going to really love what we're doing next. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I'll see you in 2021.